the Lord is good, give him a hand of praise today. Amen. Now you're wondering, and I'm going to let you be seated in just a moment. You, you get to be, don't sit down now. I got two texts. Do you know I learned a text two weeks ago? <laughs> I just saw all these people all the time, you know, all the, and I didn't want to do it, but I finally had to cave in. And I got two texts, one last night and one this morning, from two different cities. And I just, and these two individuals who were both pastors did not know where I was last week. So here's what the first one said. I hope you're anointed in the pulpit tomorrow. The nation needs our voice of righteousness more than ever. Well, I read that and called them right up. We had a great chat. I said, thanks for the encouragement. This morning on the way to church, I hear my text again. And here's from another pastor. There is an anointing upon you to preach today. So do it with power. Don't hold back. So that, that's a hot, I'm liking texting now. I want you to keep in mind what we said a moment ago. There's two kinds of churches in America anymore. There's no more on the fence. You're either giving in to the darkness, which means throwing the word out, compromising, caving into the culture, and allowing the culture to pressure you and define who you are. Or you are piercing the darkness. That means you're standing up with the word. You're not giving up on the blood, the cross, Jesus Christ being the way to salvation, heaven, hell, eternity, and this being the word of God. And letting this read us instead of us reading it. I don't know about you, but when I read this, it reads me. So I know this church, God willing, God helping us, gracing us, is going to be a church that pierces the darkness. And we'll pay a price. We will be persecuted. And I want you to know that. We will be persecuted and we will suffer. There may be a few of you who decide that you want to go to another church that caves into the culture that's not as strong. That's fine. I, I don't want that to happen. And maybe I'm wrong. There's maybe not a soul in here that will do that. But chances are when persecution comes, there will be a few who will say, this isn't what I bargained for. But listen, if you're washed in the blood and you're a child of God, it says they that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So uh, I want to talk to you today about turning pain into gain. And I don't know what your pain is, but I know that God wants to turn it into gain. I don't know where you're suffering, but many of you are suffering and will suffer. And God's going to turn that into gain. So the first in this series is the church that pierces the darkness is going to be the church that knows how to let pain be turned to gain. Guarantee you. So let's read 
Uh, Exodus 3, 7 to 8, and then you can be seated and thank you for standing to honor the Word of God. But let's look at this. The Lord said to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them doing what, everyone? Crying out. Why? Because they were in bondage. Slave drivers. Cocaine is a slave driver. Cigarettes are slave drivers. Lust is a slave driver. Pornography is a slave driver. Uh, there are many, many things that are invisible yet real slave drivers. And they were crying out because of their bondage. And what did God say? I'm concerned. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. Isn't that beautiful? That's a beautiful word. Father, thank you for your word today. And help this church to be a church that pierces the darkness. Grace us, Lord, to play a part in the end time great awakening that is coming to the whole world. Help us, Lord, to know how to turn our suffering into gain. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want you to look at the person next to you and say, he's got it. He's got it. He's got it. Well, the Lord is good, and I want to, I want to just pull some things out of this verse as we get into this. You know, the devil is a liar. He can't open his mouth without lying. How do you know he's lying if he's talking? The devil can't utter a syllable without it being slanted to a lie. And here's the way he does. He goes to you in your mind with impulses, with thoughts, and he says this to you. God doesn't care. God doesn't care about your suffering. God doesn't care about your pain. Or he may even say this to you. He doesn't know about it. He's not even aware of it. He's not tuned into you at all. He's out there doing other things. There is no God who really knows about your pain. Well, this verse obliterates both of those lies because God says to Moses, I have seen their pain. Then he says, and I have heard their cries of pain. So he sees it and he hears it. Then he said, what we really need to know, I care. I'm concerned. And I'm concerned enough, Moses, to do something about it. I'm concerned enough to tap you on the shoulder and appear to you in a bush that is on fire, but it's not burned up. I care enough to stop you in your tracks, totally alter your life, and send you to the source of all this pain. And I'm sending you with my power and my name and my anointing and my calling to deliver them from their bondage. That's Old Testament. And it didn't just happen with his people in, in Egypt. I'm reminded of the story of Abraham. When Abraham's sitting there just having a normal day one day, going through the same old, same old, and suddenly three men appear to him, and these men are supernatural. There's a lot of speculation among commentators about who these three men were. Some believe it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost because he identifies himself as God, one of the men, and Abraham responds to them like they were God. Whether they were God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, manifesting as men or they were angel beings they were supernatural 
And they appear to Abraham, and here's what they say. The cries of the victims in Sodom and Gomorrah are deafening. What a word. You see, perversion had gripped Sodom and Gomorrah. It says when the angels appeared to Abraham, the cities had been totally immersed in rampant, runaway, pandemic homosexuality that the Bible said was perversion. I'm just quoting the Bible. This is my textbook and I'm a teacher. And that's what the Bible says about it. Whatever the culture is saying, oh well, I know what God says about it. And God said because perversion was rampant, there were victims. And there always is. When perversion takes over a culture, there are always victims because lust consumes and degrades and exploits and damages its victims. Now, God says the cries of the victims in Sodom and Gomorrah are deafening. The sin of those cities is immense. I'm going down to see for myself. See if what they're doing is as bad as it sounds. Then I'll know. Well, we know the rest of the story. They did go down to the city, and they were attacked by the homosexual men of the city. It says, every man in the city went to the door and tried to get in to assault sexually these men, these angels. That's the story. Well, um, I want you to notice what God says about it. The cries, I'm hearing the cries. The cries are deafening to me. I am deafened by the cries of hurting people. And folks, he hadn't changed. God is deafened. God is, is so aware of the cries of hurting people everywhere. Now let's fast forward to our day. If that was happening, if, if, if God was hearing cries to him that were so immense and so strong and so intense that they were deafening. What about us today? What about Fort Worth? Are cries ascending to God out of Fort Worth? Well, I did a little, little uh, check on the internet. Just did a little check on crime that was reported in 2009 because with crime there's always pain and always victims. Listen to this. In, nine, in 2009 there were 40 murders, 364 rapes, 1,444 robberies, 2,400 aggravated assaults, 4,250 violent crimes, 9,993 burglaries where somebody went home and found that their place had been broken into and their valuables robbed out from under them, leaving them with nothing. There were 23,800 larcenies and thefts. There were 2,100 auto thefts. People that woke up and their car was gone or went to a parking lot and their car had been stolen. There were 35,900 property crimes, vandalism of private property. That, that comes to a, a, approximately 100,000 victims of crime in Fort Worth alone. And that's only what was reported. And that is not including the divorces that happened, those that died from drug overdoses, those that became addicted to drugs and, or alcohol and didn't know what to do about it, and their lives caved in and they lost everything. That is not talking about all the things that were not reported. I, I'm telling you, there are, there, there are continual, right now, somebody, many people, are crying out to God in this area, in neighborhoods that you and I passed on the way to church, 
on the as we got in our little cars and had our little suits or or dresses on or some of you your Bermuda shorts and t-shirts that's a joke y'all are supposed to laugh right there we, we don't care how you come to church as long as you're here we don't we we don't believe you clean a fish before you catch it we'll catch you God will clean you but anyway now watch this we, we, we got in our cars and we came to church and what did we pass we passed neighborhoods and homes and street corners and and businesses and automobiles people on the road crying out to God help me I'm in bondage don't know what to do I'm confused don't know where to go I'm hooked on alcohol, hooked on a drug, losing my marriage, losing my children. My heart is broken. I've lost my job. I'm losing my retirement. I'm losing my finances. I don't know what to do. I'm desperate. I'm thinking about suicide. God, if you're there, help me. And God said, it's deafening to me. Now, what is God's answer? God's answer has always been people. To the Egyptians, he sent Moses and Aaron, and they became like God to those people. And they carried with them the power of God and the hope of God in a future in God. In Abraham's day, it was Abraham. He immediately began to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah, and because he interceded, Lot and his family were delivered before the fire of judgment fell. God always has people. He always uses people. And now in our day, as these cries are ascending to God, right now, this moment, as we speak, people are weeping and crying and crying out and asking God for help. What is His answer? His answer is sitting in this sanctuary. Oh, you mean you, Pastor Jeff? No. I mean you. His answer is you. His hand is on you. You know something they don't know, you've got something they don't have. If they don't have Jesus, you've got a lot they don't have. You are a chosen generation. You, 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 you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a called out people. You, you, you. You. And what God wants us to understand is, as He hears these cries, what is He looking for? He wants to tap every one of us on the shoulder, and He wants to lead us to the place of the suffering and share what we know. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. He's going to turn your suffering into gain. He's going to turn your pain into gain. He's going to turn your hurt, your heartbreak, your disappointments, your disillusionments into a message for them. I cannot imagine living in this world right now without God. I don't know how anybody does it without the hope that burns in my heart. So let me talk to you a little bit today about what the Bible says about you. And it's going to be five P's, five words that start with P. And let's just go through them. The first one is prepared. Can you say with me prepared? Do you know that you are a prepared person? You say, well, no, I'm being prepared, but I'm not prepared yet. Oh, yes, you are. You're prepared. How many of you in here today can say, I'm, I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ, and I have been saved. Let me see. All right. Then I want you to say with me, in light of that, I am prepared. Listen to what God's Word says in Ephesians 2.10, one of the most profound verses in the Bible. It says, we are God's construction project. We are God's ongoing workmanship. 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now listen, you're not saved by works, but you're saved for works. You're not saved by good works. The blood saved you, but you are saved for good works. Everyone in this room. And I know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor, when I get out of my pain, I'll do something about it. Well, that's not my word to you today. My word to you today is, if you're in pain, then God's hand is on you to see that pain turn to gain. And here's what he's going to do. He says, God prepared in advance you that you would be involved in good works when did he prepare it mind blower i can't wrap my mind around this i have to accept it by faith but it says god prepared you before time began well when did time begin when he created things that could erode when he created matter, when he created the worlds. That's when time began. Before the earth and the universe were created, there was no time, there was only eternity. Time exists because of material things. When this is all wrapped up and all of this has been transformed and eternity has arrived, there will be no more time. But right now, we are locked in time and space. And before time began, God prepared you. And he prepared works for you that you would walk in them. And you know what those works are? Doing the will of God in this time and in this hour. Doing the will of God. Reaching out to somebody in the name of Jesus. Touching the hurting. God has prepared us for good works and prepared the good works for us. For instance, on learning, you remember in the Bible, in the book of Esther, when a wicked, wicked man named Haman... He was really the Old Testament Hitler, went to the king and finagled him and conned him and convinced him to sign an edict that every Jew in the kingdom of Persia would be annihilated, exterminated, wiped out. It was Old Testament genocide. He did this with nobody knowing about it. The king put his signet ring to it and then word got out. And you can imagine the kingdom had thousands and hundreds of thousands of Jewish people in it and they learned that this wicked edict had been passed and the king's signet ring, which was like, this cannot be revoked, had been put on the seal. Well, word came to two people that mattered, Esther, Queen Esther, and her uncle, Mordecai. And Mordecai learned about this and, of course, it was a major, major horrific moment. And he said to Esther, these words. He spoke this, and I want you to make this relevant for us today. He said to Esther, if you keep silent at this time, you and your father's house will perish. Can I be bold enough to tell you today that we are in a time like that right now? If you keep silent at this time, don't you complain when you lose your liberty and you lose your freedom, and, you, and our country has turned into a socialist, Marxist country if you stay silent at this time you and your father's house will perish 
And then he said to her, who knows but that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Here's what he was saying, Esther, you are a woman of destiny. You have been born for this hour, for this time, for this moment to take a stand for what is right and turn the tide. And all it took was one woman yielded to the will of God, yielded to the Spirit of God, who fasted and prayed and went into the king's presence and turned the tide and delivered the Jew so that the Messiah would one day be born. It was Esther. And I say to you today, church, if we keep silent at this time, we cannot complain. If we don't stand up and speak up for what is right, we cannot complain if the darkness triumphs. But I've got news for you. This thing can turn, and it can turn quickly if the church stands up and shines. Because all that's coming in is darkness, and darkness is only an absence of light. So there must be an absence of light. And if light would just start shining, the darkness has nowhere to go but out the same door it came in. The door the darkness must flee. Can I tell you, church, you were born in God's time, you were saved in God's time, and you have been prepared for God's time to take a stand for Jesus Christ right now. And we as a church are going to do it. We're not going to cave in. We're not going to bend. We're not going to bow. We're not going to break. I know persecution is going to come, but I know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And if he could go up Golgotha's hill for me, naked and bleeding, then I can take a stand for him in a wicked and perverse generation. And that's what we're going to do. And if we do that, and churches all over America do it, the tide will be turned, and we're going to experience a great awakening awakening of the Spirit of God again. So say with me, He's prepared me. Then He has purposed you. He's purposed you. God purposed before time began that you would walk in His will. And what is His purpose for everybody in this room? It is simply to do the Father's will. It is simply to do the Father's will. That's it. You know, when I got saved, I was sitting in a juvenile home. I was 16 years old. I was scared to death. I was busted for sale of narcotics at 16. I wasn't a big-time pusher. I was a little-time squirt. But they did get me. And I was sitting in juvenile home, heard the gospel for the first time in my life. And when I was sitting in jail, I was purposeless. I had no purpose. I didn't know what purpose was. I had no goals, no, no vision for myself, nothing that I was looking at down the road that I was shooting for. I was purposeless. But when the Spirit of God came into my heart and Jesus came into my life, I realized that I was not an evolutionary uh, mishap, that I had not come along at random, that I was not the process or the result of some single-celled organism crawl crawling out of some ancient sea that finally evolved into me. No, 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 no. That I had been custom-designed by God, that I was fearfully and wonderfully made, and that He had His hand on me for a reason. And I began to understand that when you know Him, you encounter purpose, because He is the God who designed you for a reason. When you see a car out in the parking lot, you know that it wasn't just sitting there for thousands of years, evolving until finally the gasoline was in there, and the tires were on it, and the steering wheel, and the key, and, and, and shazam! Look at this. What is it for? No, you know that somebody made it for a reason. And it's not for you to stare at. It is to get you from A to B, from A to Z. You know that about a car. Why would you think anything else when you look at you? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God has you 
for a purpose. And his purpose is to do the Father's will. Are you doing the Father's will today? Or are you squandering your life? Don't waste your life. Do the Father's will. But then he says, not only did I give you a purpose, and not only did I prepare you, but I have decreed, God has decreed, that he's going to turn your pain, your suffering, into gain. Now, many people in here are suffering. You're suffering emotionally. You've been hurt. You've been heartbroken. Somebody's walked out on you left you with a hole in your heart. You've been lied to. Some of you have been told that you've got cancer. You're fighting cancer or heart disease. You're suffering. There is physical suffering. There's mental suffering. Some of you are suffering spiritually. You feel oppressed. You feel depressed. You feel down. You know that you're up against something. You're, you're fighting a battle. And so you're suffering. The Bible says that God has decreed that you will not suffer in vain. God will not waste your pain. There's redemption even in pain if you know the Lord. A believer is going to suffer for three things, doing wrong, doing right, or you don't know why you're suffering. You can suffer as a believer for doing wrong. You're paying consequences for making some bad decisions. You're suffering. Or you can suffer for doing right. You're getting persecuted because you took a stand for God. You're suffering. Or you may be suffering and not know why. You don't know why yet. It's a mystery. But God says whether it's for wrong or right or for an inexplicable reason, I'm going to redeem your pain. Now that's good news. He says... I am able to make all things work together for the good, all things, all things, pain, letdown, disillusionment, breakup, heartbreak, breakdowns, breakups. I'm able to take all pain, all loss, all suffering, and I'm going to redeem it. Now, one of the ways that pain is turned again, listen very carefully to me, because some of you are experiencing this right now. As a matter of fact, all five of these P's, everyone in here, Everyone in here has all of them at work on one level or another in your life. You're prepared. You're purposed. He's going to turn your pain to gain. But one way that God turns it to gain is when he comforts you in your pain. Listen to what Paul said. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 to 4. He talks about suffering. Here's what he says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. So our God is identified as a God who comforts. Catch that. He comforts. He never said, I'm going to keep you from pain. He did say, I'm going to comfort you in your pain. Now look what it says. This God of comfort comforts us in all, not some, but all of our troubles so that. Well, let's just stop a minute. Now right here... We could stop and say, what a great verse. God has promised to comfort me in all of my troubles. So no matter what I'm going through, no matter what the trouble is, he's going to comfort me. But no, he's added a so that. So there's a reason behind, and it goes beyond just you and me. He says, so that we can comfort others who are in trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Now here's God's plan. 
that when you suffer, he says, okay, I'm going to go to you and I'm going to comfort you because I already told you through my son, I'm sending you the comforter, the Holy Spirit. The parakletos, that's the Greek word. It means the one called to stand alongside you in your pain and comfort you. But then, when you're comforted, I want you to understand that your comfort is to be distributed. It's not just for you. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. But when God does anything in your life or mine, He's got one eye on you and one eye on somebody else who's going to reap from what God did in you. You see, you know what makes you and I so valuable here today? God's done something in us. God's done something. Any of you can say, God's done something in me. Let me see your hands. God has touched my life. You know what you are then? You're, God looks at you as a distributor. God looks at you as a dealer. God looks at you as contagious. You are contagious. And He wants you to take the comfort by which he comforted you and carried it to somebody else. So that, he comforted you so that we can bring comfort to others. And that's one of the ways that God turns our pain into gain. Now let me tell you about the devil. The devil, when the devil brings pain to our life, there is nothing redemptive in it. The devil doesn't have within any atom of his being one scintilla of compassion or care or concern about the, the objects of his pain. He does not weep over the crying of a baby. He does not care over the tears of a teenager. There is nothing in the devil remotely compassionate. He comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. He increases and he multiplies pain, ultimately in an attempt to destroy the person to whom he has brought the pain. But that is not our God. Our God is the opposite of the devil. Our God says, oh, are you hurting? You're suffering? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to comfort you, and I'm going to bring victory to you, and I'm going to turn your pain into gain. I'm going to make your pain redemptive. You are never going to suffer uh, uh, with no purpose in mind. You are never going to suffer needlessly. My grace is going to touch your pain, and I'm going to turn it into gain. I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to turn it. I'm going to change it. I'm going to get glory out of it, and you are going to come out better for it. The Greek word used for comfort when it says God comforts us is para kaleo. Para means alongside. Kaleo means called to. And here's what it means. When it says you get comforted, then God's called you to comfort others, it means that God's going to take you who have suffered and he's going to comfort you. Here you are. You've got a heartbreak. Somebody's walked out. You're hurting. Your, your heart is broken. Your mind is broken. Your body is hurting. You're going through a trial. You're in a valley. It's dark. It's difficult. You're fighting maybe for your life. It's been a long time. You're wondering how long this is going to last. You see no rhyme or reason for the suffering. And that's why God sent me here today with this message that God says, I'm going to turn your pain into gain. God says, I'm going to comfort you. And so he brings his word to us and his word comforts us and his spirit rises up within us and comforts us. I can't tell you how many times I visit people in the hospital, all the time. And I go into situations that are so difficult, people hurting, people with terrible afflictions. And I go into the people of God, and I, and I get in there with the people of God, and when I walk in the room, they brighten up because I represent the Lord to them. And I go in there, 
and I pray with them, and I share the word with them, and I've watched over and over again how the Lord comforts the afflicted, and he comforts the hurting, and it is supernatural. Those that don't know Jesus don't have it. That's why they got to shoot it, smoke it, pop it, drop it. That's why they got to do all these things when it comes to pain, because they have nothing else, but we have the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And I watch these people get comforted in the worst of situations. They wear a smile on their face. And sometimes they encourage me. And I realize that what God's call on them is that someday they're going to stand alongside somebody that's hurting and say, you know what? I used to hurt. I went through this valley. And God comforted me. He helped me. Some of you, what are you doing in church? Look what you've been through. You went through a valley you thought you would never come back from. Some of you were down for the count and the devil got to eight. And then something happened. The Holy Spirit rose up inside of you. The Holy Spirit reached down and touched you. They said you would never get up again. They said you would never walk again, never enjoy life again. And here you are on a Sunday morning in 100 degree weather with your hands lifted up, praising God. How can you do that? Because greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. Come on, give Him a better shout than that. Paul said, therefore, we are comforted because you're comforted. Comforted people comfort people. Paul said, this is the way it works. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Jesus Christ our comfort flows out. Sufferings come in, but comfort flows out because we walk with a supernatural God. Suffering comes in, but comfort overflows out of the believer who has experienced God's comforts and so be sure to use your comforts for others. Some of you that came down on the altar today, you came distressed, now you're comforted. You've got something God wants you to give away. Go out and tell somebody, boy, I went to church, I didn't know what was going to happen, but God comforted me. Now where I had no hope, I've got hope. Now where I had pain, I've got some peace. Now where I didn't know what to do, I've got some guidance. I went to church and something happened to me. When you go into that restaurant you're headed to, go in with a smile on your face and a skip in your step. And if you go in looking like you just lost your best friend, don't tell them you were here. Just go out and comfort somebody with the comforts that God has comforted you with. Because we've got something the world doesn't have, but the world needs. And it's the light and the peace and the strength and the glory and the light of God. Remember those cries that rose out of Egypt? The same cries are going up right now. And you know where you're going today? You're going where they're right next door to you. You're going where they're right down the street from you, hurting people. Oh, I've learned, listen, in pastoring 26 years, ministering to thousands of people, I've learned this. I've learned that no matter how much money they make, no matter how big the house, no matter how nice the car, no matter how many perks they enjoy, if they don't have God, there's a level of misery. There's a level of misery. 
going out there and sharing the comforts. Listen, witnessing doesn't mean you go out there and win an argument. Witnessing doesn't mean you've got to be a professional debater. That's not what witnessing means. I mean, that may happen sometimes, but here's the best witnessing. When you say, this is how God, through Jesus, comforted me. My kids, I'd lost them. I'd lost my home, lost my health. I was suffering, I was hurting, I was going down, I was in a valley. I didn't know what to do, where to go, who to turn to. And then he comforted me. I lost it all, but I'm okay because I've got God. I lost my 401k, but that wasn't my future. My future is in him. I, I was walked out on after years of relationship but I found one that doesn't walk out on me. When they walked out, he walked in. I'm okay because I've got him. He comforted me in my suffering. That's how God turns pain into gain. Say with me, comforted people. Comfort people. So God's prepared us, purposed us, and he's turning our pain into gain, but he also transforms our pain into power power. I've noticed something about God. When I go through a trial, and I've been through some really significant ones, some I brought on myself, some came to me from circumstances that I could not control. But when I emerge from a trial, I always come out stronger, more anointed, more compassionate, more effective in reaching people. There's something about God where he says to the devil, you knock my kid down, I'm not only getting them back up, but they're going to be stronger than before you knocked them down. You're going to regret that you knocked them down. You're going to regret that you messed with my children because you've got to understand, Mr. Devil, you knock them down, amazing grace, crazy grace, powerful grace is going to get them back up. And when they get back up, they're going to be a meaner machine than when they went down. They're going to be more anointed, more appointed, more focused, more thankful, more grateful, more stronger in their praise and in their worship because they're going to know they were done for if I had not picked them up. You're just going to give them a better testimony. Yeah. On the day of Pentecost, the power of God fell on 120 broken-hearted, disillusioned people. And the power of God fell on brokenness. And those broken people got up and changed the world. Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. He's prepared us. He's purposed us. He turns pain to gain. He transforms pain into power. And finally, he transforms pain into passion. Do you know that nobody cares about the hurting like those who have hurt? You know what the Lord is looking for today? You know what kind of church is going to pierce the darkness? The church that loves people. That loves people. Not the religious whose noses, if they walk out into a rainstorm, they drown. You know what chickens drown because of that? Did you know that? They look up when it's raining and they drown. And a lot of religious folk walk around just like this. Oh, harumph. And you walk into those churches and it's harumph. What are you doing in here? 
you look messed up. We don't like messed up people around here. We like perfect achievers with money and class and pizzazz and harumph. And they, they're drowning. They just don't know it. No, God wants people who smell like sheep. That is, I care enough to get into your stuff, to listen to your pain. And see, God says, you hurting? I'm going to comfort you. And all of a sudden, there you are. You thought you were gone and done for, and God picks you up. And then he says, now, look. And there they are, hurting. Same pain. He says, remember what I did for you? Now, you go tell it. You go share with them, but I comfort you. That doesn't take a Ph.D., that doesn't take a theologian to say God comforted me when I was in the same situation you're in. You're getting divorced, been there, done that. God healed me. Let me show you how. You're addicted, I was addicted. God delivered me. Let me show you how. You're in depression, I was so depressed, clinically depressed. Let me help you. God comforted me. Let me show you how. And the cries that are going up from Fort Worth. God says, you are the answer. And that's the kind of church that's going to pierce the darkness. Not a church that's going, well, I'm hurting, and so when I'm not hurting, I'll go back to church. No, come to church when you're hurting. Get in here when you're suffering. We don't want perfect people. We want people. And then God's going to send this church through this city. Because right over here and right over here and everywhere around us are crying and weeping and crying out and sighing and dying. Amen? Amen? So piercing the darkness, you want to be a church like that? Amen. All right, let's stand up together, can we? I know it's summertime. A lot of folks are gone. But guess what? God has got his hand on us and I know it, and I don't say that pridefully. I say that soberly. We're going to pierce the darkness. How many of you have suffered? You've got a testimony. You go out there and you share it. One of our members went over here to the Love's truck stop recently. They walked in, and when they were, when they were getting out of their vehicle, they saw a woman. And didn't think anything, but the Holy Spirit said, I want you to keep your eye on her, and I want you to talk to her. He said, well, if I go up to her, she's going to think I'm hitting on her. She's going to think I'm being weird, especially at the truck stop. The Lord said, you're going to do it. So the woman came back outside, and this man walked up to her and said, I'm so-and-so, and is there anything I can do to help you? And she said, yeah. If everybody around me would just quit dying. He said, what do you mean? She said, well, on the way, she was a trucker. She said, on the way here, right in front of me was a car crash. And right in front of my eyes, people died. And I don't know what to do 
with my emotions. And he said, can I pray with you? Because I've hurt too. And they had a little lunch. And he ministered to her, prayed with her, and then went down his way. Now the Lord knew when she drove up that he needed a Moses. Now go over to her. You've got the power of God and you've got the comforts of God. I'm going to let you talk to her. And this woman had never been saved. All around you is opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name we ask you, help us to remain sensitive to the needs around us. And help us, Lord, as a church to go and share the comforts of God. Just the comforts. This is what he did for me. I'm asking you, Lord, to lay your hands on young couples who can go and minister to other young couples who are losing their marriages, fighting, being destroyed. Lord, send those that are physically fighting battles to share their hope and their comfort with others. And we thank you, Lord, for it in Jesus' name. Now, will you take a minute and say, Lord, help me to take the comforts of God